all over the world, there are weird and wonderful things you can see and do. Let's check in now on Travel with Rick Steves with our friends from Atlas Obscura. They host a website, newsletter, and a best-selling book with thousands of photos and descriptions of marvels and mysteries from all around the world. We'll focus on what you can find in Europe right now. Dylan Thuris is a co-founder of the site, and Ella Morton is their chief editor. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's think about natural oddities in Europe. Uh, I noticed you have Giant's Causeway in North Ireland, and another one, the Vanishing Lake in Northern Ireland. Can you talk about those? Yeah, and, and Giant's Causeway, I particularly like because it's got kind of a, a sister site in Scotland, right? It's mm-hmm. It's got uh, Fingal's Cave, and they're both those hexagonal basalt kind of geology, and there's this mythology that goes with it that, you know, there was this giant that went between these things, and, you know, they're they're both kind of in these incredible natural sites that have inspired a lot of myth and then artistic interest. Fingal's Cave has all of these crazy people that have been inspired by it over the years, everyone from... You know, Matthew Barney was visited by Queen Victoria. So both of those are, are wonderful. This is such a cool site in Northern Ireland. It's like you got all these, what are they, six-sided basalt uh, pillars. And, and it's like, you know how somebody can shake open a, a pack of cigarettes and they all come out at different lengths? That's kind of like these basalt six-sided uh, pillars. And then it disappears into the sea. And then it comes up over in Scotland. And it goes back to understandable myth that there used to be this causeway or this pathway between Scotland and Ireland. And of course, the Irish and the Scots will dream up all sorts of stories about how great they are and how they had to rip down the stairway or whatever. And today, a little background on that, you, you get to enjoy one of the, one of the oddities. Uh, what are some other natural oddities that come to mind in Europe? Uh, what is the, there's a forest in Poland called the Crooked Forest. It's uh, also known as Grafino Forest. And all of the trees have this strange hook shape. It's like a J or a C. And there are all these theories about how that actually happened. Some say that a farmer did it on purpose. Some say that it was some sort of supernatural cause. But there are a few places like this where there's a natural phenomena that's occurred and it's become the basis for all these stories that have cropped up around it, a little bit like the mythology of the giant's causeway. You know, it is interesting how sometimes it's confused whether it's an honest-to-goodness phenomenon or a little joke or a gimmick, or is it a, from the Victorian age, or is it from prehistoric times? I mean, you can think of all the carvings into the chalk uh, hillsides of England. Some of these horses go back to ancient times, and others are just from the 19th century. An, an elaborate joke in the late 1700s or something. <laughs> right, yeah. And then in, in museums, uh, there are just some endless quirky sites. You talk about, Ella, do you remember the zoo in Amsterdam dedicated to things that are actually invisible? Oh, Micropia. Yeah. Yes. You have to go in and look through microscopes at various unicellular organisms. Yeah, I mean, the, the little museums, they're one thing that we really celebrate at Atlas Obscura because it's usually run by one person mm-hmm. who has a great passion for the subject and who's just opened this tiny little museum that may only be open on a Tuesday from one to five. There's one in Croatia that I find particularly fascinating that's actually caught on globally since it was established. It's called the Museum of Broken Relationships. And it's in Zagreb. And it was started by these two artists who used to be in a relationship. And when they broke up, they were sort of joking around about how they could have a whole museum with artifacts of their relationship. And then they actually said, well, why don't we establish that? Why don't we have a museum in which people can bring artifacts from relationships that haven't worked out and have a little message beside them about what actually happened and get people to come in and read the stories. I love that idea about a museum that is really the 
passion of a single eccentric individual. And, and now that you mention that, it just it occurred to me, and, and these are in your book, you got Gallup the potter, who's got 16,000 samples of human hair hanging from his ceiling at his pottery oh, shop yes. in Avanos in Turkey. You've got Electric Ladyland, where Nick Palladino in Florence is the Fluorescent Art Museum, and, and this Nick is so into fluorescence. I asked him, has he been to the United <laughs> States, and what, what was his favorite place? And he said, New Jersey. New Jersey, and of all the places, he said, that's where the best fluorescents are. Uh, and then there's a, a friend of mine named Gerhard who runs the Third Man Museum in uh, in Vienna about the movie The Third Man. And as you said, Ella, it's open like one day a week because it's a one-man show. But these are just really where you get a personality and a passion and you can actually share it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my cousin Harvey has a canoe museum in Portland that's open one day a week where he exhibits his hand-carved canoes. I mean, we love that kind of stuff. And it's great that you can give it a little bit of um, promotion in your book, Atlas Obscura. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are talking with Dylan Thuris, who's the uh, co-founder of Atlas Obscura, and his chief editor, Ella Morton. And we're talking about their book, Atlas Obscura. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and uh, Elliot's calling in from Wisner in Nebraska. Elliot, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me. Yeah, do you have a comment for Ella or Dylan? Well, last summer I got to study abroad in southern England. It was an experience I'll never forget. But while while most of the uh, members of my study abroad group were galvanting off to uh, London or Paris, I was staying within the boundaries of uh, Kent and Sussex, and while I was within the counties, I did one thing I've always wanted to do. I went to visit the heritage railways they had. And? Well, got to a really wonderful site. It's a pity that they're not mentioned more in uh, travel guides, really. Yeah. Because England. back in the 60s that the British Rail started shutting down all these uh, country branch lines and thought they were useless. You know. Then a bunch of uh, citizens got together. They pooled in some money. They got some old steam engines from scrapyards, fixed them up, run trains daily or weekends. Mm -hmm. And it's a great experience for, uh, well, people of all ages, really. I just, if you're a train enthusiast, uh, you're right, Elliot. Uh, You don't need to leave Britain. I think the best train museum in all of Europe is in York. And then uh, you've got the Heritage Railway in uh, North Yorkshire Moors, from uh, I think from Pickering, and also a beautiful narrow-gauge steam trains that are heritage lines in North Wales. Dylan and Ella, did you have any train-related sites in your Obscura? We have a, a bunch, actually. It reminds me, just because I, I lived in Hungary, they have the Children's Railway, which is a run by kids. There is some adult oversight, but by and large, the, the train is operated by children as you know, young as 10 or maybe even 8. And that's a, kind of an incredible place. And then... You know, there's tons of these sort of narrow-gauge railways tucked all around. There's a site actually in Maine that was a an industrial site where they built this big railway, and then eventually they just abandoned it, the Eagle Lake Tramway, and they left behind the rails and the entire train cars, and it's hard to get out there. It's quite rural, but if you go, it's, it's like an incredible site. So, Elliot, that's a, g- a good comment that uh, there's a lot, if, especially if you're a train enthusiast, there's plenty of opportunities in Britain for that. Not to mention that a few uh, film crews have done filming on a few of the railways, such as the Bluebell Railway in northern Sussex. So when they're doing a period piece, they'll use that steam train? Yeah, they've done filming there for Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. the uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles that were once on ABC. I wondered, you got those wonderful departures at the train stations in Downton Abbey. You actually know where that was? Yeah, 
It's uh, North Sussex between the towns of uh, East Grinstead and Sheffield Park. Wow, you could write your own train obscura book. Yeah, I love trains. All right, Elliot, thanks for your call. Yep, thank you for having me. You bet. Ed's calling in from Vancouver, Washington. Ed, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Hi, Dylan and Ella. You know, I saw your book at the uh, bookstore the other day, and I just I love the idea of having a book like that that I could just kind of browse through and get excited about the you know the next place to travel to. And um, I was kind of hoping I've got this particular favorite type of place that I hope is is in your book, and it's not uh, you know a geographic oddity necessarily, but it's uh, political and. Uh, Sometimes I look at a map and I see some little strange boundary, and I kind of wonder why it was like that. And the one I'm thinking about is one that we traveled to last summer. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Evia in Spain, which is actually completely surrounded by France. Hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have, you know, a section in the book like that, because sometimes I see that and I get fired up about a new place to go and see why it's like that. Yeah, we, we definitely have um, stuff on the site like that. I'm trying to think if, if any of it made in the book. I mean, some of these things are like the Northwest Angle in, in Minnesota, um, which basically is way at the top and is this kind of, kind of awkward bit that sticks up into Canada and was essentially a, a mistake <laughs> in the mapping. We have a whole category on the site called Geographical Oddities. There's one that was, you know, particularly strange uh, that's mostly been sorted out now, but it's on the border of India and Bangladesh. And it was these enclaves where essentially little islands of one country would end up in the other country. And then within those islands, there'd be another island. So it's these sort of nested geographies. Mm. So a tiny piece down to the size of a farm mm. of Bangladesh would be inside a piece of India and then inside a piece of Bangladesh. It was this crazy setup. Although recently they've, they've actually gone about kind of trying to sort that out because yeah. it was very difficult for the people living there. I love that sort of stuff. I think uh, Bosnia has a, technically a little access to the Mediterranean, but it's just like a, a road, and, and that's it. And uh, when you look at the map, uh, you mentioned that place in Minnesota, Dylan. In, in uh, Washington State, we have Point Roberts, which just is a, a little tip of land off British Columbia, but for some reason the latitude clipped it, and it's part of the United States. We once did a TV show on our European travel series on public television, and it was Europe's little countries. And it was five countries... San Marino, the Vatican, Liechtenstein, uh, and Monaco, and, uh, and Andorra. We made a map that was the size of Luxembourg, and they all fit inside of Luxembourg, which is a tiny country anyways, and it looked like kind of a little mini-country pizza there. But every one of those odd little mini-countries has a reason, and that was my goal, was not just to show these oddities, but explain the reason behind it. And there's so many borders that have reasons that are just fascinating to look into. Hey, Ed, thanks for your call. Sure, no problem. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Dylan Thuras and Ella Morton about their book, Atlas Obscura. Dylan and Ella, I'm fascinated by all of the World War II and the Cold War sites that you've collected in Atlas Obscura. We're just talking about Europe now, and when you think about the the sites uh, that relate to World War II, I never realized there were these army sea forts in the Thames estuary in England that date back to World War II. Yeah, the Munsell Army Sea Forts, and they really look like something out of an H.G. Wells novel. They're, they're these sort of giant hulking things on four legs that stick up out of the ocean. And they've been used for various purposes over the years, although now they're basically kind of slowly crumbling. And they may not be there for that much longer because they don't get a lot of care. 
you mentioned in your book they were actually little outposts for pirate radio when I saw that movie where England in its Puritan age wouldn't let you know the Rolling Stones talk about sex on a normal radio station, but if they broadcast from technically off the land, they could get away with it. Yeah, international watch. And that's like there's a, speaking of tiny nations, also off the coast is uh, Sealandia, which is, you know, maybe the most famous micronation uh, in the world. But the whole nation exists on basically one, you know, small yeah. circular platform. Ella, when you were doing the book, did you come up with any favorite World War II or Cold War sites in Europe that strike you? There's one that's particularly poignant in uh, France. It's an old village that was just left mm. as is after being attacked by the Nazis. And it's just been left there as a sort of living history memorial. Mm. It's called Orador. And it's been standing there in those ruins since 1944. It's just these burned shells of cars, these old sewing machines, bed frames, all these things just sitting there. Mm. And post-World War II, Charles de Gaulle said, we want this kept as is so that people will know the Mm. atrocities of war, so that you can walk around it and see what happened. Yeah, that's Orador sur Glan, and it's about halfway between Paris and the Mediterranean coast, I think, in the, in the heart of France. And boy, what a powerful experience. It's like walking through a ghost town. And I think the story is somebody killed a Nazi soldier, and the Nazis uh, got revenge by killing the whole town. And it's there today as a memorial. Yeah. I love the um, Buzluja, the communist convention center built on a hilltop in Bulgaria from the 1970s. I was just there prowling through that thing, and it is otherworldly. And uh, in your book, you said it took 6,000 workers seven years to build this thing, and then today it's just falling apart on top of a hilltop. We've just started running some international trips, and we are doing a Bulgaria trip in January, which I will be on, and we will be going to Budludza. Have you been there? Not yet. Well, you know, when you get there, it's not open to the public, but there is a door which is boarded up, and then somebody cut a hole in the door, and you can actually squeeze through that hole. And then you walk through all of this sort of dried-up swamp of asbestos stuff that fell off of the ceiling, and you get into this middle of this convention center, and you've got the hammer and sickle overhead with falling-apart mosaics, and you got Lenin and, and Marx and the local versions of the Communist Party in Bulgaria... And it is just the craziest sight. And it's just breathtaking. And the the roof has holes in it, so the sunbeams are coming through. And then you've got, you know, Coca-Cola and capitalist, uh, you know, graffiti on top of the communist propaganda. And uh, the words of the communist anthem or letters on the wall are literally falling off. And it's just, you got to go there if you're interested in odd Cold War sites. Another great Cold War site is the statue park in Budapest where they gathered together all the statues from communist times and put them in a park. And now all these statues are ranting and raving at each other instead of keeping the people down. That's an incredible site. And, you know, I have to say, I don't want to be too much of a fanboy, but I, I'm a, when I was living in, in Eastern Europe and actually we were starting to work on Alice Obscura, I used uh, your guides to Hungary and Austria and I found a number of things that ultimately made their way into Alice Obscura and, and kind of helped set the, the stage, you know. That's great. He, and I like the treatment of cemeteries also. You did the Mary Cemetery in Romania. We were just there mm-hmm. filming, and it's the funnest cemetery because all of the tombstones are painted in, in very happy uh, blue colors, blue and white, and they sort of remember a happy thing about the person who passed away's life. Uh, You've got other sites that deal with death and cemeteries. Uh, What are some of them, uh, other than the Dog Suicide Bridge in Dumbarton? There's the bog men. You've got people that fell into bogs and were were preserved. Uh, 
remarkably. Uh, in Denmark, there's a famous one. You've got Utsi, who is frozen into the ice in Bolzano. Sure. Yeah, he's quite a star up, <laughs> up there. One personal experience that I had in Bologna was um, I went to this church and had heard that there was a saint relic there, St. Catherine of Bologna. And I got to this church, and it was empty, and it was just me and my wife, and we were wandering around, and we sort of thought, well, maybe, you know, we were wrong. We couldn't find very much information about it. But as we were getting ready to leave the church, we noticed there was a little door and a little doorbell, and we rang the doorbell, and this door slid open, and I still don't know quite how they did it. There's some pulley somewhere, or... And we sort of apprehensively, you know, okay, it seems like we can go in. We walked in and through a room and then back to another. And there was St. Catherine of Bologna, which is a full-body mummified relic. You know, it's it's her, who, and hmm. she's been sitting in this golden throne for half a millennia. And that's in Bologna? Yes, yeah. Wow, that must have been a striking moment to see that. It was, and we sort of sat, you know, uh, on the floor and spent some time communing, and then a little, a little, another tiny little uh, door, sort of just like a, a face-sized door, slid open, and a, a nun handed us basically a pamphlet with some with <laughs> some information, you know. And I think part of what we are trying to do in terms of cemeteries and the ossuaries, you know, America is sort of unique in its unwillingness to look at or engage with death, mm-hmm. and it's much more a part of other parts of the world, and especially in Europe, where it's almost kind of sewn into the background. And Mm -hmm. I think a part of it is, you know, just going to those kinds of places, thinking about them thoughtfully, actually understanding their historical context. It it changes the way you you look and think about all this stuff. And and so that's that's our hope. That's a beautiful thing about travel. It's a beautiful thing about Atlas Obscura. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Dylan Thuris and Ella Morton about their book, Atlas Obscura. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Steve from Cudahy, Wisconsin is on the phone. Steve, thanks for your call. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're talking about interesting uh, experiences in churches. What do you have to uh, Well, I, not only is it a church, but speaking of uh, preserved bo- dead bodies, uh, one of my favorite quirky sites in all of Europe is St. Michael's Church in Dublin. I'm not familiar with your author's book, but I was wondering if it mentions it at all. We do indeed have St. Mikan's and their, and their mummies, uh, including the famous crusader mummy or supposed crusader mummy, who apparently you, were, you used to be able to shake his hand. Hmm. Now you can gently touch his, his extended finger. They've kind of pulled back. But yeah, it's an incredible place with a, a really interesting story of, of how the mummies got to be there. And some of it's, it's a lot of folklore around it, who actually is in this crypt full of mummies. Ah. That sounds uh, like a way to spice up your visit to Dublin, St. <laughs> Mikan's Church. What was your experience there, Steve? I was there. I had virtually no—someone told me, I don't remember who, it was a good place to go to. And I went there and took the tour, and I found the tour of the church interesting. But when they took us down to the crypts, which are still in use, you know, it's still an active uh, necropolis, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, I, I thought I had just walked into the gravedigger scene from Hamlet. I mean, it was wow. atmosphere through the roof. And there are, you know, there are a number of unforgettable crypts in Europe. You're talking about St. Mikan's Church in Dublin. And of course, you've got the Capuchin Monasteries, which are in Atlas Obscura for all the bones. And, uh, you know, it's just a thought-provoking dimension of your travels. Steve, thanks for your call. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about Atlas Obscura, and we're talking with editor Ella Morton and the co-founder of Atlas Obscura, Dylan Thuris. I'd just like to close with, uh, if you think about all of the fun places you discovered in Europe, 
I'd li- like to have each of you explain one that those of us who are dreaming about going to Europe and maybe have been to Europe a number of times but want to have an extra dimension should be sure to know about. Ella, what is your favorite must-see obscure site in Europe? Well, this is one that there's an object in a museum near a museum that is much more well-known and well-attended, which is around the corner from the Uffizi in Florence is a smaller science museum that you will not see lines of people waiting hours to get into. And inside that small science museum is a glass egg with gilded edges that contains Galileo's middle finger. And it was it was taken from his remains about 100 years after he was buried and mm. has been there since 1927. But if you want to see an actual part of Galileo in a glass egg, go, go to, to that the, museum. And that's the Science Museum behind the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. Unforgettable, right. sort of a relic for scientists. Dylan, how about you? You know what? I'm going to make this into a walking tour. I'm going to say you could you can go and you can stop by and see Galileo's middle finger and then uh, walk over the bridge in Florence, and you can walk to La Specola, which is a very old natural history museum, but it's, it's most famous for its collection of wax anatomical models. And they are these incredibly exquisitely crafted, often, you know, full bodies that have been opened up where you can see the organs, and in fact, you could remove the organs. And they were made to help medical students in a time when acquiring and dissecting corpses was complicated. Uh, And so they are really wild, incredible objects. And I think it's a good example of, you know, Florence obviously is a huge tourist site. And I think many people miss finding some of these places that they would remember forever uh, because Mm -hmm. they feel like they're obligated to do kind of these more well-known things. So you can complement your traditional sightseeing with obscura. And uh, a lot of these, um, you know, bodies and this kind of thing date from the early modern times when modern medicine was taking hold. And you mentioned the, the place in Florence, but all over Europe, wherever there's a university, you're very likely to find uh, anatomical theaters and, uh, you know, models of bodies and weird disfigured things in formaldehyde glasses and jars and so on. And it's just there's a wonderland of exotic things to see in your travels. Hey, Dylan and Ella, thanks so much for joining us, and best wishes with your work at Atlas Obscura. Thank you. Thank you so much. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. Travel as a political act adds meaning to the journey. And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. To learn more, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.